We've been in a series now for the last three weeks in the book of Colossians. Colossians is a small book tucked into the New Testament, four chapters, and we have been attempting to cram one chapter into every week. It's pretty difficult because there's probably more like a hundred sermons in each chapter. So uh, we are going pretty fast through here, but you're a studious bunch and I think that you can try and keep up. Grab your notes out with me if when you came in today. You got some notes, grab your pens, grab your Bibles if you like. And I want to talk to you today about the subject, out of style, out of style. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for our great time together. I pray that you speak to our hearts today, bless every life, and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, somebody say a good amen. amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul is writing, and he says, Do not lie to each other. I mean, no, lying's not good. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, verse 10 says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's God. Jump back up to verse 9. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You have taken off old self with all of its practices. Somebody say out of style. style. For years now, fashion has been as big as any other thing in the world. It's bigger than football. It's bigger than baseball. It's bigger than soccer. It's everywhere, and as a child, I remember hating it. I can stand going shopping with my mom because she would take me shopping to a little store called Mervyn's. <laughs> oh, I couldn't stand this store. As a little child, not interested in the clothing department, of course, that she was interested in at all. She's dragging me through these clothes, so many clothes, so little time. And I started feeling claustrophobic, even to the point where I'm now 15, 17, 20 years old. I couldn't go into Mervyn's without having cold sweats. I just started thinking, like, I remember this feeling. I don't like it. I want to get out. And there was always one chair in the fitting room. One there? Just one. They always had just one chair, and it was already always taken by an older gentleman who was as miserable as I was. The only thing different was he had a chair and I didn't. But fashion is a multi-billion dollar industry. These companies spend so much time, money, and effort trying to get us to come in and buy the newest and latest style, trying to convince you why you need the newest and latest, and they have all types of different ways to try and do this, from mannequins to sales and websites and catalogs. They're trying to get you to be drawn in so that you can turn around and buy the new style. But having said that, with all the new styles that are around, There are some of you in the room today that have a hard time throwing away your old clothes. Come on, wave at me if you have that comfortable pair of jeans that you just love. Come on, wave at me, wave at me. You just love this pair of jeans. You love them. You haven't washed them in 17 years, but you love them. Comfortable, but gross. Comfortable, but hazardous. And you'd agree with this statement that fashion has changed. Could we all agree with that? Fashion has changed over the years. Have you ever gone back to like when you're in elementary school and seen some pictures that your parents dressed you in the outfit? Come on, talk back to me. Have have you ever had a moment where you looked at your mom and dad and you're like, what were you thinking? And then you turn around and in junior high school and high school you start dressing yourself 
and you see those pictures nowadays, and you turn around and you tell yourself, what was I thinking? <laughs> Styles have changed. Some of you know what it was like to have the big high hair back in the 80s. Any hair bears in the house? I mean, your hair was like, how high could you get those bangs? Remember junior high? This girl had bangs so high and a fly flew in there and died. It was death by Aquanet. It's no lie. I'm not making this up. It's not a good way to go. We have some pictures on the screen of some of our staff. Take a look at this. This is Luke Ross, ladies and gentlemen. What is he wearing? Are those suede chaps? I don't understand. And the chin and the hand. His mama made him do that. This is Bianca. She just did announcements. Look at those boots. But what's, what's going on with that whole outfit? It's like plaid. Was she wearing like a checkered board? Let's go to this next one. This is me. Yep, that's my horse. One horsepower. Look at that, look at that swag. Top button. Look at this. I'm top right, ladies and gentlemen. So my dad's church in Oakland. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a polyester. That's most likely a polyester jacket, if we were honest. And that shirt is awesome. It is a butterfly collar shirt. I had to be careful not to run too fast, because if I ran too fast, it would just take off. Like, I, I got air. You want to see me eighth grade? Eighth grade. That is a turquoise silk suit, ladies and gentlemen. You ain't never seen a silk suit before. Silk suit. I'd wear it today if I still... No, I wouldn't. It was awesome, though. My mom wanted to buy me, like, this really nice cream suit, and I was like, no, no, no. Oak tree has a silk suit, mom. I put it on, just swish it. <laughs> Fashion has changed, though, and what you used to wear, you wouldn't wear any longer. Like, you thought it was cool at the time, but it has gone out of style. And you'd never be caught wearing that today. Come on, can you think back to what you used to wear and imagine yourself going to school or your job tomorrow on Monday wearing what you used to wear in second grade? You would get beat up. <laughs> Rolling in with your corduroy green pants and a butterfly floral print shirt talking about, what's up, everybody? How you doing? <laughs> Styles have changed. And there are some people, every once in a while, you'll see that are stuck in the past. I'm talking about fashion and in style. And it's almost like they're trying to resurrect the styles of a few decades ago. And there's something inside of you that doesn't say it out loud, but on the inside you say this. No, 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 no. No, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did. He did do that. But this is not just a style message on fashion. This is actually an analogy that Paul uses in the book of Colossians to talk to us about clothes. Not clothes, clothes, but what are you wearing? It's a big statement, a big question at the Grammys. Everybody's asking who you're wearing, what are you wearing, who you're wearing. A lot of questions about that. Paul comes along and he tells the people of Colossae and he's telling us today, asking us the same question, what are you wearing? Because he's insinuating and telling us it's time to clothe yourself with a new style. It's a new style. Write this down in your notes, everybody, that God offers a new life. The good news is that God offers a new life. We're not happy with our old life. It's okay because God has a new one available. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, 
he says this statement, since then you've been raised with Christ. <clears throat> In other words, God's given you a new life, so let's live like it. God's given you a new life, let's think like it. Since you've been raised with Christ, write this down, we ought to reset our hearts and our minds towards Jesus. To reset our hearts and our minds toward Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ, then set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When God saves us, He gives us a new life, but our hearts and our minds still have a tendency to wander. And that's why He says the word two times, set. Set your mind. Set your heart. It's almost like an old watch that runs too slowly and gets behind. Or maybe when the power goes out in your house and you have to go back and reset the clock in your oven, your stove. You're now going to stop and reset the clock. But when you reset the clock, you actually are looking around to find the right standard to set it to. In other words, you don't just set it to anything. You don't just trust your friend who looks up at the sun and says, I feel like it's 2.37 in the afternoon. Set it to that. <laughs> no, you, you set it to a standard that you think is the right standard. We have to have the right standard in order to get everything else right and all the clocks right in our house. Now, many of you don't understand this, but back in the day, we would do this by calling popcorn on a landline. <laughs> Everybody 30 years and under didn't even get that reference. I'm talking, first, let me explain. First of all, a landline is a phone <laughs> that was connected to a wall in our house. And popcorn was the phone number that you called. You know how the phone has, has, has like uh, ABC on the number two and, and so on. Every number has letters on it. You would spell out P-O-P-C-O-R-N and this is what you would hear. At that beep, that's when you'd set it. Come on, give it up for the time lady. Nobody even knows her name. She was with us for a long time. Anytime you were worried about what time it was, you called popcorn. Because she had the exact time all the time. She was the standard. Now, I understand we have cell phones now that send signals up to space and back. So anytime you want to reset the clock, on your stove because the power went out, you just look at your iPhone and, and you find out the standard. Here's my point, though. We all have to set it to the standard. When we come to God, we have a chance to reset our hearts and reset our minds to the standard. But the standard is not whatever we feel it is. The standard is Almighty God. Can I hear an amen, everybody? We get to now set the hearts and minds to God. So you're saying I have to change. No, I'm saying you get to change. Before Jesus Christ in our life, we didn't have a choice. Our hearts and minds were automatically set to our life of sin. But the great news of the gospel is that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, to pay for our sin, to free us from sin, so that now we can be free to serve God. Come on, if you're glad about that, clap your hands and say a good amen. That's, that's the good news of the gospel, that we now turn and set our hearts and minds towards him. And Paul says, since then you've been raised with Christ, 
I want you to set your hearts and reset the focus of your life. Reset the focus of your hearts and minds toward God. Well, what does that mean? Setting your hearts and your minds toward God means this. It means that we're striving to put heaven's priorities in daily practice. You're striving to put heaven's priorities into your daily practices. It means that now God has given you the ability to live for him. He's given you the ability to have a hope for tomorrow and to have eternal life. Now, verse 3 goes on to say, for you died. It's pretty morbid. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, now appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Talking about heaven is, is, is promised to you. But you think for a second, Sean, you said I died. I didn't die. I'm right here like I could see you. He's not talking about your physical death. He's talking about your old life. And is there anybody in the room that's grateful that God can forgive your old life? So you die to what? Your old life. When we come to God, we die to that old life, that old way of thinking, the old way of living. And, and here's Paul's hopes. Paul's hopes are that we are as unresponsive to sinful desires as a dead person. That we're not moved in that direction any longer because we've died to that. It's deep. And I know some of you are like, Sean, that sounds so hard because we all know the feeling and the struggle of what it feels like to love God but yet be so familiar with the temporary things of this world. On one side of us, we, we, we want to follow God so much, but on the other side, we have grown so accustomed to the things of this world. On one hand, we, we long for the new, but on the other hand, we become so comfortable with the old. There's part of us that longs to be free, and yet there's another part of us that tries to justify staying where we are. We are torn individuals. And we step back and say, God, what do we do? And Paul comes along in verse 5 and says, listen, guys, this is nothing to play around with. Like, this is nothing that you could just manage. He actually tells us, write this down, to put to death the, that which is trying to kill you. Put to death that which is killing you. In other words, don't go easy on this. In other words, don't mess around with this. In other words, don't mess around and underestimate the threat of the enemy in your life. This is not something that we could just shirk off responsibility. Verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 puts it this way. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the old you. And then he gives a list. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list. And he starts with saying, put off, put to death sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is any form of sexual activity outside of covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And he comes along and he knows that we're going to blur the lines there, so he actually goes on to say, go beyond sexual activity, he says, in impurity. And he knows we're going to blur the lines there, and so he goes on a step further and says, just all lust. And he goes on to even go further, he says, evil desires and greed is in there, which is idolatry. That's, idolatry is not just the statue, it's anything that comes before God. Put to death these things, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You look at the scripture like that, you're like, that sounds pretty harsh. But this is the judgment that comes on this type of behavior. Now listen to me, everybody. Sin is sin. It's, it just is what it is. And, and if you don't like this preaching, talk to my boss. 
because I didn't write this. So sin is sin, and the reason God hates sin is because of what it does to us. All of us in here would say we hate car accidents. We hate them. But none of us would say we hate the people in the cars. You just hate the effect that it has on the people, the brokenness, the loss, the pain, all of the agony. We hate the car accidents. Here's what I know why God hates sin, because it brings several things. Write this down. Here's a few. It brings shame. Why God doesn't like sin is because it brings shame on us. Shame comes into our life, and shame says you're stuck that way. Your dad struggled with anger. Your granddad struggled with anger. You're, you're going to struggle with anger. Your kids will struggle with anger. It's just who you are. There's no way to change. And, and, and really, shame comes on you and, and gets you in a place where you don't feel like you could ever change. There's no hope of changing because you feel stuck. This is just, I'm stuck in this. I'm a liar. I'm just a liar. I'm a thief. I'm just a thief. I'm an adulterer. I'm just an adulterer. Whatever it is, you think, this is me. And then shame comes on you, and it keeps you away from God. Because how many, we all know this. I shouldn't even say how many. We all know the feeling of what it feels like to do something of sin and then come to church, and we feel the whisper in our ears saying, don't you dare raise your hand. What are you even doing here? You don't belong here. You shouldn't be around here. And, oh, my goodness, you can't tell somebody about Jesus because shame, 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 shame. The devil's trying to get shame on you. Shame on you, shame on you. We're trying to get shame off of you. Jesus came to get shame off of you. We're not trying to put shame on you. We're trying to get it off of you. Shame never comes from God. But when we sin, the devil has an open door to throw it at you. And then that causes a separation, a separation where we begin to feel separated from God. It's not that he moved, we moved. We took a step back. We took a step back. And there's a separation dating all the way back to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they were separated from God. And Jesus Christ came to bridge the gap of separation so that now you and I can have fellowship with Jesus once again. Can I hear a good amen for that? So sin brings shame, separation, and it always brings an emptiness. Emptiness. 100% of us can testify to the fact of us taking a step in a direction that you thought was going to deliver the ultimate satisfaction, and it still left you empty. There's a void, there's an emptiness that only comes when you take a step outside of God's plan for your life. God didn't hate you. He hates what sin does to you. He loves you, as a matter of fact. But the problem is, sin is attractive. If it weren't attractive, we wouldn't struggle with it. The reason we struggle with it is because sin is attractive, but it always brings shame and separation and emptiness. Here's the problem. You don't see that right away, though. It, it's almost as if we go to a restaurant and when you sit down in a nice restaurant, you consume all the meal and the pleasure of the food. But that bill doesn't come right away. <laughs> Has anybody ever had sticker shock at the restaurant bill? Somebody put it this way. Sin wouldn't be so attractive if its wages were paid immediately. Like if we had to pay like for fast food. We had to give the payment for sin first before you enjoyed the sin. We'd be sinning a whole lot less. But the problem is we don't see the payment right away. There is a payment. 
There is something that you will have to pay. What would happen, though, if we took a couple steps back and said, I'm going to start thinking about that bill before I take a step out of God's will? <laughs> what if we began to take a step back and, and think about what we were going to do before we actually did? Am I preaching to anybody in the room today? I'm preaching to me. I know that. What would happen? I'll tell you, something would, something would change. Now, don't look sideways at anybody in the church as if what the sin that they're struggling with is worse than the sin you're struggling with. We all have issues. And I've dreamt of a place where we can all come with our sin, come with our issues, and work through them. As we're all leaning towards God and wanting him to bring freedom to our lives, man, we'll walk with you all day long. We are, none of us are perfect and none of us have gotten there yet. But that also should not be an excuse why we're not walking towards him. The good news of the gospel is you can be free. Amen. God can free our lives. And the good news is that since God has raised you to new life in Christ, he now has given you the power and the ability to close the door on these things in your life. Remember a couple weeks ago in Colossians 1.13, the Bible says that God rescued us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Whenever God brings you out of something, he always takes you into. And I don't want you just to be so excited because you came out of something but never satisfied because you don't go into the perfect will of God for your life. Come on, God has a perfect will. He has a perfect plan. He has a destiny for you. Don't be stuck in the middle. Don't stay there. Remember, God rescued us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. So we've been rescued. But why is it that we so often turn around and start to entertain that which is trying to destroy us? be like inviting Jeffrey Dahmer over for dinner. <laughs> Why do you put yourself in certain situations to play with fire? I know what it's like from first-hand experience. Don't feel I'm preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. Every single one of us knows what it feels like. And I'm, Paul is preaching to us today. Telling us that God's desire is to save us, not to take the fun out of life. Have you ever been to Lake Tahoe? Driving up to Lake Tahoe is a gorgeous drive, but they have this one portion of the road that's really scary in the wintertime because there's about a thousand foot cliff on one side. And in the snow, and you have chains on, you're sliding a little bit, and Diane is screaming, slow down, slow down, slow down, I mean, just all day. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. That's the whole trip, basically, to Lake Tahoe. <laughs> Nobody has ever gotten, I've never driven by, and I've never seen anybody get out of their car and come up to the guardrail and get angry with the guardrail. Stupid guardrail, stupid guardrail. We're just trying to take the fun out of my driving. <laughs> no, sir, it's actually there to save your life. To keep you from driving off a cliff, please don't look at what we're talking about today as restrictive. God's just, try, God's just trying to take the fun out of your life. No, God's actually trying to save us. He's trying to keep us from driving off a cliff. Come on, is this making sense to anybody? God's heart is for you. He loves you. That's why he gave his son Jesus to die for you, to pay for your sins so you can be free. John chapter 10, who's, who's trying to take the fun out of life? The devil. 
Matter of fact, John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why is it that when bad stuff happens, you're never angry at him? I remember this one teenage boy I looked at in high, uh, in high school. He was in high school. I was a youth pastor for a, a while, and I went over to him, and I said, hey, he had, something happened to him, and I said, are you mad at your mom? He said, yeah. He was some stuff he had done. Yeah. He got caught. You mad at your friends? Yeah. You mad at God? Yeah. I said, you mad at the devil? I said, well, answer the question. Are you mad at the devil? He, like, he, it never even crossed his mind. So angry at God. So angry at Mama. So angry at his friends for a decision he made. It would be like me slapping you and saying, he did it. <laughs> the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. It's abundant life. It's real life. It's eternal life. And it starts today. Come on. So Paul is preaching. And he's preaching good. And he says, you died. Here's the crazy part. Any barbers in the room? Any hairstylists, barbers in the room? Look around. Look. Okay. We got a few of them. Here's the crazy thing. For anybody that understands hair, there's a lot of money spent on hair. They will let you know hair is dead. Like this is a dead, what is it called? A follicle? Hair? Even though it's dead, you have to spend some time cutting it back. Even though your old life is dead, if you're not careful, it starts to try and grow again. Turn and tell somebody, cut it back. Come on, tell them, cut it back, cut it back. Some of you are like, I don't have much to cut. <laughs> Write this down, I'm not the same. When you give your life to Jesus, Colossians 3, 7, you used to walk in these ways. Past tense. It's out of style now. In the life you once lived, somebody shout, but now. but now. You must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And I understand we're not where we ought to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. But our, our friends and your friends will come around you after a while and they will look at you when they haven't seen you in a while and they'll say, you've changed. You, you're not the same. I need you to get some holy boldness to look them square in the face and to lift your head and say, if by changed you mean and you're insinuating that I no longer live for myself, and that I now live to serve other people and to put God first 
and to live a life of gratefulness for him rescuing me out of my dark pit of hell on earth and saving my life and forgiving me and cleansing me and giving me hope and healing and a purpose for life, then yes, guilty as charged, I am not the same. As a matter of fact, I have been changed. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new is here. You are not the same. You are not the same. You are not the same. What you used to wear, you don't wear any longer. What you used to think was in style has gone out of style, and you wouldn't be caught dead wearing that anymore. And I know there's some people in your life that come along and they try to resurrect the old wardrobe, but for you, your life has been forever changed by the love of God. You have been saved. Come on, say, I'm not the same. Turn and tell two people I'm not the same. I'm not the same. Oh, you should have seen me two years ago. You should have seen me 10 years ago. I wouldn't even be sitting here. I'm not the same person. I know you, you think I'm still rough around the edges, but my God, he has done such a work in me. If you could have seen my testimony, if you could have seen the pictures, if there was Facebook back when I was a little boy, you never, you never would have expected me to be here sitting by you today praising God, worshiping Jesus. You wonder why I scream. You wonder why I shout. You wonder why my hands go up in worship. You wonder why tears are coming down my face. It's because I am not the same. Not the same. We've been changed. We've been changed by the love of God. It's changed us. People think you're weird. You might be. But you've been changed. They should have seen you, should have seen you a long time ago. Write this down. Now you can put on something new. So we take off some stuff, and then we put on some stuff. God never leaves you naked. He's not going to leave you in shame. He will clothe you. As a matter of fact, in Adam and Eve, the very first thing they did was he gave them skin to cover them. You put on something. Well, what do we put on? Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. To put on the new self means that our conduct starts to now match our faith. This is going beyond just having good resolutions and good intentions. This is now freedom for right actions. I love makeover shows, and they became really big a few years ago. It seemed like everybody was having a makeover show. And there's, it's funny because you'd have some people come in and they would have a total makeover. And then they come out and they're embarrassed and they're slouching because they're uncomfortable in the new clothes. But they look incredible. My wife and I used to love watching this one particular makeover show. And they would actually go to the people's houses with a trash can, come to their closet wardrobe. And the deal was you had to throw out your entire wardrobe into the trash can to make sure you never wore it again. They would then take that away. But they wouldn't just stop there. They actually then gave you a gift card for you now to go shopping for a new wardrobe. They didn't leave you with nothing. You actually have something better now. 
It's almost like Paul is coming to our lives today with a trash can and saying, listen, let's throw out the old clothes. Your life has been raised to a new life in God. Let's throw out the impurity. Let's throw out the lust. Let's throw out the greed. Let's throw out the bitterness and the anger and the resentment. I know these things used to be comfortable. I know this is your go-to. I know this is what you're used to doing. But I'm here to tell you that don't worry about it because Jesus has already paid for a whole new wardrobe. And with God's heavenly gift card, now you can put on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because of the love of God at work inside of your life. He is giving you a brand new wardrobe. Somebody shout, I'm going shopping. I'm going shopping. Where? I'm going shopping in what God has for me already. The peace is already yours. How many of you love a shopping spree? Look under your chin. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, <laughs> How many things has God paid for that we're not wearing? Like, if we get to a place where we have our closet filled with clothes that still have the price tag on them, and we never wear them out in public, what was the point? Some of you tomorrow are going to work with a whole new wardrobe. Some of you tomorrow are going to be in math class. And when they ask you, what are those? <laughs> You're going to say, it's the love of God in my life. What's our motivation? Our motivation is God's love. Colossians 3.12 and 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, you're chosen, you're holy, and not just loved, watch this, watch this, dearly loved. He loves you. So because of that, clothe yourself with the new wardrobe, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is not about trying harder. It's about falling deeper in love with Jesus. If you don't want to cheat on your spouse, don't try to not cheat on your spouse. Fall deeper in love with your spouse. And the byproduct would be faithfulness. If you want to live for God, don't try to live for God. Fall in love with God. And the byproduct would be faithfulness. Dad one time took his daughter to the park. True story. He actually took her a lot and she was about one year old. And he would oftentimes buy her ice cream from the ice cream truck. And while they're there, one time he goes to the ice cream truck, goes to buy some ice cream, comes back, and she has filled her mouth with sand. Just where he wanted to put a delicacy, she put dirt. And they ask the question, did he still love her with dirt in her mouth? Absolutely. Okay, let me ask you another question. Was he going to leave her there? No chance. He picked her up, brought her to the water fountain, washed her mouth out. Come on, honey, spit that out, spit that out. And he gave her something better. He loved her where she was, but also loved her too much to let her stay that way. God loves us where we are, 
but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. So he comes over, and the gentleness and the kindness of our Savior comes and says, Oh, honey, honey, spit out the dirt, spit out the dirt, because what I have for you is so much better than what you're trying to hold on to. You can put on the new now because of God's love. Write this down. Forgive. Forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is interesting because tucked into a passage about taking off the old and putting on the new, we have a verse, this random verse, like Paul just slid it in there. Like, hey, by the way, forgive everybody and forgive as God forgave you. Like it's almost, it almost looks out of place. Why would Paul insert this one small verse into this chapter on the old and the new. I'll tell you why. Because you cannot enter your purpose while clutching on to your past. You, you, you don't have to say what they did was okay. But for your sake, you've got to let it go so you can be free. Okay, here's the key. You want the key to how to, how to know how to forgive people? Some of you that have been struggling with this, here's the key. Here's the key. Here's how you forgive people. By remembering how much God forgave you. Amen. Don't you wish, I don't like the verse. That is not going on a tattoo on anybody's arm. I want he could do greater things than I could ever ask or think of imagining. Three, Ephesians 3.20, tattoo that right there. Mm. Ain't nobody getting Colossians 3.13. Don't you wish sometimes that like you could forgive people based on how you feel and deem they deserve forgiveness? That's not what it says. I would have loved that. Hey, forgive people like you think they need it. Like there's not even a comma. Forgive others as God forgave you. Think about how much he has forgiven your behind. Think about how much he's forgiven me. And we turn around and let that be a motivation to release others so we can go boldly into all that God has for us. Can I hear a good amen? amen? Okay, write this down. Bring honor to Jesus in every aspect of daily living. Let's begin to bring honor to Jesus in every aspect of daily living. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule. Underline the word rule. Then look at me, at me for just a moment. At some point, we invite God to rule and reign in our life. Okay, listen to me. We all want a Savior to forgive us, but we don't want a Lord telling us what to do. We all want His grace. But when He starts talking to us about what we ought to add to our lives, we step back and say, oh, it's legalism. I don't know about all that, Sean. He talks to us about love. Actually, it's love and truth that we need. And God comes along and, and through the pen of Paul says, therefore, let Christ's peace rule. It's an athletic term. In other words, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your life. Let the, let the peace of Christ be the, the referee in your life. Because we have conflict in us, don't we? Where our hopes and fears clash. 
and our jealousy and love clash and our desires and feelings clash, which way are we going to lean? Let the peace of Christ rule. Let him call it. Let him rule. At some point, we don't just say, God, come into my life. We say, come and rule my life. Let us serve you, Lord. Then he goes on to say, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. You were called to this, everybody. But you're members of one body. In other words, we can't do this alone. And that's why small groups are so important around here at our church. It's not something we invented. It's something God invented. They would meet in the New Testament in the early church in big gatherings like this. And then small groups through the week, eating, praying, worshiping, hanging out, laughing. But they're growing with people going the same way as them. If you're not in a small group, I'm telling you, you're experiencing some of our church, but you're not experiencing all that this church has to offer. Amen. And there's small group trainings, and there's things that are, our small group semesters starting up again in June for six weeks. I want to encourage every single one of you. If, you. if you call us pastors, if you let us pastor you, we're asking you to get into a small group because that's how much we believe in this aspect of life. We're one body, one body, one body. There's not several. God didn't have a black body and a Hispanic church and a white church. He has one church, one body, one body. He doesn't have a young church and an old church. He has one church, one body. We're all part of the exact same body. Some of us are over here, some of us over there, but we're all connected because of Jesus Christ is the head of the body. And if we're trying to be a part of the body while not being a part of the body, it's going to be really difficult. I'm just telling you. Be a part of the body. We do this together and God strengthens us. This is the key. I'm giving you keys here. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm giving you keys for success. We're part of the body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Take the word of God, let it dwell in you richly and teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's word and worship, word and worship. You read the Bible, get it in you. Then you worship God. Thank you. I love you. I worship you. Don't, don't come in late to church because you're like, ah, it's just a few songs. No, it's worship. It's corporate, one body worship. As we're saying, God, we're grateful you got us through another week. We're thankful that you saved us. We're thankful that you graced us with your presence. Come on, is anybody grateful that God gave us the gift of worship? To communicate our heart to him. Last verse, 17, and whatever you do, like he covers it, after he says all this, hey, by the way, just whatever you do. He was specific here, specific there, and then he's like, by the way, just whatever. Anything you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We bring honor to Jesus in every aspect of our daily life. Let's do that. Let's commit to that. Number three, write these three things down. I'll, I'll close with this. Number one. Just ask God, what needs to be taken off? In your life, right here, right now, what needs to be taken off? I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not all up in your business. You and God just, like, even as I'm talking, there's stuff that's coming to your mind. And don't argue with God right now. Just like, okay, if he puts his thumb on it, it's because he, he's here to let you know he wants to help you through it. He's not pointing a finger at it. He's like, hey, here's a hand. He don't want to give you a hand out. He wants to give you a hand up. So what needs to be taken off? And then number two, number two, what do I need to put on? What needs to be put on? Maybe it's kindness. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's, I don't know. You fill in the blank. 
You can write it down if you want in your notes. But we have to remember our motivation. Remember our motivation. It's Colossians 3. You are chosen. You are holy. You are dearly loved. You are chosen, holy, and dearly loved by God. But he loves us too much to let us stay where we are. How many thank God for the new life that he's given? Amen, everybody. Come on, let's clap our hands and say good amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over the room. Maybe we're here today and you say, Sean, I've never given the controls of my life to God. I've never asked him to rule and reign in my life. I need to take off the old. I want to put on the new. Jesus wants to give you a brand new life today. Here's the great thing. You don't pay for it. He already did. Today, in the quietness of this moment, the holiness of this moment, you put your things away later, but if you're here and you say, Sean, count me in that prayer when you pray it. I want to give my life to Jesus, or I need to recommit my life to God. My heart's kind of grown cold. There's been a little separation. You're right. There's been a little shame, a little emptiness. But, man, I want to get right with God today. If that's you on the count of three, could you just lift your hand right where you are and just leave it up and just say, count me in that prayer, Sean. I'm giving my life back to God. One, two, three. Come on, lift it up and just leave it up. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, come on, let's clap our hands for every hand in this place, family worship room, all over the place. He loves you. He loves you. Would you allow me to lead you in a commitment prayer to him right now? Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for loving me right where I am. But I also thank you for loving me enough to not leave me here. Forgive me from my sin. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I ask you to rule in my life. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I'm all yours, Jesus. And somebody say a good amen. Come on, can we clap our hands for everybody who prayed that prayer today? It's phenomenal.